Welcome to another life-giving message from Ars Hill Fellowship Church. Through rich biblical insight filled with humor and creativity, we seek to make the gospel alive for your life today. For more information, please visit MarsHillFellowship.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Real life, real faith, real people. My unsung hero is, um, is Naaman, Naaman the Syrian. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, you want to be turning to the chap- uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. If anybody needs a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will be happy to bring you one. It's a little bit more important today that you have a Bible if you don't have your phone with you um, or your iPad or something because uh, uh, we're not going to have it up on the overhead. Uh, I'll read it to you, but you won't have it in front of you. Anyone need a Bible? Yeah, can we come down? And while you're going to uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, you might want to put your finger in um, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We'll touch briefly on that. Okay. 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, starting at verse 1, and the record says... Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master could see the prophet who is in Samaria he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? He's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to Naaman, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash instead in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean, just like that of a young boy. Okay. Now, I remember actually being taught this story in Sunday school when I was a little boy. I, one, 
of these that went to church every Sunday. And this is one of the stories that the sweet little ladies taught me. But obviously, there's a lot of meat here for us as grown Christians. And there's so much richness in the chapter of 2 Kings that we're only able to touch on about a third of it today. So let me commend this to your uh, daily Bible study this week as you go through the week. Take some time and, and spend some time with the second, cap, second chapter of Kings verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 5. It's a very, very rich chapter. Um, the things that I draw from this are really about threefold. I have about three bullet points. Let me cover and, um, and then we'll stop there. Note that um, Naaman, when he went to see Elisha, he dotted all the I's and he crossed all the T's. He treated this as a state visit. He got permission from his own king. He sent a letter of introduction. He brought money. He brought clothing. He treated this as if he were meeting royalty. Um, Elisha the prophet, he, he afforded him the same respect as he would have if Elisha had been royalty. And so when he gets down there, rather than come out to greet him as one might in a state visit, Elisha simply sent a messenger out to talk to Naaman. And he said, go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Now, can you imagine if some foreign dignitary came to the United States and, and President Trump sent an underling out to to, to Reagan Airport to meet the guy on the tarmac and say to him, okay, if you want to do business with the United States, here's what you need to do. Can you imagine how insulted that person would feel? Well, it's kind of the same way here. I mean, this was a serious breach of protocol from that standpoint. Um, the fact that, that Elisha didn't come out of his house, did not acknowledge um, Naaman, uh, uh, really didn't do anything but send out a servant to talk to him. And it was further compounded by the fact that he told Naaman to go wash in a dirty river. Now, as a Texan, when I read this, I, I think about the Red River, which is the river that divides Texas and Oklahoma. And it's called the Red River because um, in that area, the dirt, the dirt is red from all the clay in it. And the river itself is full of mud. Therefore, it's the Red River. And I, I, I can't imagine actually anybody bathing in the Red River to get clean. In fact, you, you probably would come out of the water dirtier than you were when you went in. And it may have been that way with the Jordan River at the time. I mean, certainly Naaman saw it that way. He said, you know, look, there are cleaner, better rivers where I'm from. Why in the world do I need to go bathe in this filthy river? Um, and he's angry. He's very, very angry with Elijah the prophet. Uh, so angry that he storms off. Now, to his credit, he didn't pull out his sword and start killing people, but he did storm off. And, you know, in one way of looking at it, perhaps he was right in doing so. And yet, the reason we know that Naaman was a, a righteous man is, is twofold, and we can kind of infer it from this. First of all, his servant girl, the little uh, Hebrew girl that was taken captive, wasn't afraid of Naaman. Uh, I mean, she was she was uh, property. She was a slave, but she wasn't afraid to go out on a limb for Elisha the prophet um, 
on behalf of her master because certainly if this hadn't worked, if Naaman had, uh, if Naaman had gone to see Elisha and nothing had happened or he hadn't been healed, the little girl would, would expect to be killed. And, and so she wasn't afraid to, to, um, to offer this up to Naaman. And, and not only that, um, she, um, she had enough affection for him that she actually wanted to help him. I mean, she could have kept her mouth shut and just continued to uh, minister to Naaman's wife, but she didn't. She wanted to help her master. The other thing that tells us that Naaman was a good and right person is that his servants weren't afraid to ask him to listen to reason. Because he went away angry, and probably rightfully so, nevertheless, his servants said, okay, take a deep breath, Naaman, and listen to me. If Elisha had asked you to do something difficult, you would have done it without batting an eye. Okay. All he asked you to do was go dip in this dirty river for seven times and your skin would be healed. Give it a shot. That's not too much to ask. Okay. And, and, and as an aside, I, I want to make a couple of points here, and you probably have already seen it. This is foreshadowing two different things that come about in the New Testament. First of all, it's foreshadowing our relationship to God by virtue of water, baptism. It's also foreshadowing the extension of the gospel to the Gentiles. Naaman was a Gentile. And so what's Elisha asking Naaman to do? He's asking him to humble himself, which he accomplished in part by not coming out to meet Naaman and in part by asking him to go bathe in a dirty river. I want you to humble yourself, Naaman, in order to accept God's grace. You know, if, if there is one theme that runs throughout the Bible, it's this. God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And this is simply one more occasion of that. And so, as with, um, as with our salvation, the method itself is easy. It's very, very easy. It's so easy that we have no excuse if we don't accept it. But it does require us to humble ourselves, just like it required Naaman to humble himself. The other thing I wanted to point out, and this is, I'm, I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you, and, and that is the fact that we are presently afflicted does not indicate God's disfavor. Let me put it a different way. The fact that we may be suffering right now doesn't mean that God is displeased with us. I mean, Naaman had one of the most loathsome diseases ever to afflict the planet. It was incurable. It was disfiguring. It was humiliating. It was, um, it was as, as bad as a disease can, can possibly be. And yet... God favored. Scripture says that God gave the king of Aram victory because of Naaman, even against the Israelites. God gave victory to the king of Aram because of Naaman. That means God was not displeased with, with Naaman. Quite the contrary. God was very pleased with Naaman. But the lesson that it teaches us is I'm convinced very, very little is off limits to God if it will bring about his purposes and increase our faith and our witness. Um, you know, God will allow us to go through some pretty horrific things, 
in order to accomplish his own purposes. And, and this is just another example of this. So if you find yourself afflicted, particularly if you find yourself afflicted for some period of time, you find yourself in adverse circumstances, don't automatically think that you are disfavored by God or that God is upset with you. That's not necessarily true. It may well be that God is simply using you as a witness to accomplish some great thing. Um, That's really about all I had. I could probably preach uh, three full sermons on 2 Kings chapter 5. I see Pastor Jay is here though, and so I... uh, I'll yield the floor to him. Thank you. Amen. What an encouraging uh, word. Uh, Thank you, Brother David, for sharing uh, this morning and even on... um, short order. I appreciate uh, the word of God and uh, uh, you just sharing that with us this morning, encouraging with it. I, I was about to let, let you go on and uh, you can have the Sunday today, but uh, uh, we're thankful unto the Lord and uh, thank all of you for uh, coming together and worshiping. Thank you to the band. Uh, I worship with you on my way in. And so uh, thank you to Pastor Ophelia and the band um, this morning for ministering. Um, we're going to change our order a little bit and uh, we'll, we'll partake in communion at the end of today's service um, uh, um, uh, as we close out our service and, and uh, reflect upon the body and the blood of Christ. Um, um, but um, as Brother David has talked about Naaman, and uh, one of the things is about uh, listening uh, to the instruction and to the will of the Lord. And uh, it, it's so interesting that God gives us a pattern and he gives us instructions that we follow after. But sometimes in our own rationale, when we look at what God asks us or says for us to do, we find reasons to second guess, think it over, or um, to reflect upon those things. And, uh, I'm not quite sure that I want to do those things. And what we recognized last week, we, we talked about the unsung hero. Um, and if you missed it last week, you can watch the Facebook Live or go online and listen to the podcast. Um, but our unusual unsung hero last week was the donkey and we uh, recognized the donkey who the Lord used um, um, to speak uh, um, to Balaam as he was going on a place where uh, God did not want him to go and so uh, God used a donkey opened the mouth of a donkey um, to speak and to share uh, in the midst of that to help protect Um, Balaam, um, so that he would not be in a place where he did not need to be. And how many of you know that God wants to protect you? Um, Sometimes that protection is from yourself. How many of you, God has protected you from you? (laughs) Amen. Amen. You ought to say, thank God for that. Uh, um, There are many of times where I was mad at God or frustrated with God, but God was only protecting me from me um, and my ways of thinking. And, And that's why when the scriptures tell us that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. What he's telling us and instructing us is that if we'll be willing, I like that, if we're willing to humble ourselves and listen to his word, 
He will lead us and guide us in all truth. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to uh, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter number two. Uh, Exodus chapter number two, I believe Bibles have already been handed out. And um, as we share in the word of God this morning. My uh, unsung hero this week is a man by the name of Jethro. Um, and uh, Jethro comes into this story because he is the father-in-law of Moses. Now, um, those of you who are married or maybe were married um, or thinking about marriage, um, you'll recognize that oftentimes um, you can really enjoy your spouse, um, but in-laws can sometimes be a hit or miss. Uh, you don't have to say amen. You can just think it in the back of your head and, and, and think about the different personalities. And one of the things you recognize is that uh, in, in most customs, when you are marrying or, or coming together, it is not just the couple, uh, um, the man and the wife that are coming together, um, but really it is seen as a family affair, meaning that two families are joining together. And uh, really when we look at the scriptural history, we see that a part of what came along was not just um, uh, Moses and Zipporah coming together, but it was Jethro who was a part of the family. And, and we're going to learn a little bit more about Jethro's story. And in order to understand uh, the importance of Jethro and why he is our unsung hero uh, this morning, um, I want to start back um, with the story of Moses and then I'll begin to unravel as we go from Exodus chapter number two to Exodus chapter number 18 and share a few thoughts this morning um, about Jethro. Uh, if you have your Bibles uh, in Exodus chapter number two, you'll recognize that Exodus chapter number two starts off where a decree has been made by Pharaoh. Um, we recognize Pharaoh had been uh, uh, frustrated um, that uh, the Hebrew people had been increasing in number. And um, so he wanted a way that he was going to to reduce their numbers and to make sure um, that he could keep them oppressed. Um, and so part of his methodology was that they were to kill um, the young boys, uh, the Hebrew boys. And so um, we recognize at the beginning of chapter two of Exodus, uh, this story as Moses is born. Now, Moses has an interesting birth story because, um, you know, it wasn't that he went to Beth Israel, then he went to a nice home and, you know, enjoyed a very proper raising and upbringing, and it was wonderful. Uh, in his young formative days, in order that Moses would not be killed, uh, his mother places him in a basket and pushes him along the river and really says, God, he's in your hand. Could you imagine if your mother or father took you, put you in the Charles River, and said, Lord, I hope they're okay. 
I hope they'll get to safety. But the Lord's providence was upon Moses. God orchestrated things. And, and as I was studying uh, the story of Moses and Jethro, what I recognized was that there are things that God puts into motion long before you have even realized that it has been a part of a divine plan. Isn't it great to know that even when you're just going about your day-to-day -day activities, God is orchestrating your life and the Bible says that the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord and so what does that mean the Lord is ordering our steps and he's getting us along the path so that we can get to the destination or the destiny that he has for us and so Moses has this interesting upbringing that we see here in Exodus chapter number two and it says there in verse number 11 many years later when Moses had grown up he went out to visit his own people the Hebrews and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. So the first thing that we learn and understand is Moses had a troubled history. Uh, in our criminal justice system, we would say Moses was guilty of first-degree murder. He had premeditation. He killed an Egyptian. He had a righteous reason for doing it but he killed somebody he hit it and what is interesting that happens is that the next day after this incident happens he has another encounter now remember he is a Hebrew but everybody sees him as an Egyptian because he was raised in Pharaoh's household and God by his providence takes a Hebrew man puts him in, a, in an Egyptian household and allows him to become the prince and to be able to rescue the people I mean isn't that the story of God's providence how he's orchestrating things Things, all in order to what God wants to do. But Moses has this interesting history. The next day as he's there, he sees now two, Egyptian, uh, two Hebrews who are fighting. And as he encounters them, he begins to try and be a peacemaker. And as he begins to step into the situation to, uh, 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 to help bring peace there, they remark to him, well, what are you going to do to us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? You ever done something in secret <laughs> and somebody snitch on you or, or you like, wait, how did, how, how did you know that fact? How did, you, how did you get to know that history? And so Moses got scared. And as part of that, he ends up going to another land. Now, what I, the reason I'm going through, through this is for you to understand that even with Moses's history, God was using every part of his story in order to accomplish the will of the Lord. Amen? So what happens? Moses goes to a place called Midian, and as he goes there, he uh, uh, goes, and in an instant, what happens is that uh, the prince, the priest of Midian, uh, he had seven daughters, and these seven daughters were used to um, um, uh, draw water and to fill their water troughs with, uh, um, uh, from the other flocks. And what happened is that some of the other shepherds had came there, and Moses steps in to defend 
these women. Now, as he steps in to defend them, uh, Moses, uh, excuse me, um, uh, these daughter, these women's father, whose name is Jethro, he says, listen, I'm going to reward you. Um, I want you to marry one of my daughters. And that's how, you know, the marital system was done uh, back in that day. I know most of us may balk at that in 2018, um, but that was part of the system and the culture that they had at that day and age. But what we recognize, and the reason I'm going through this, is because there was something that Moses did, got him in trouble. He had to run and flee. But as he was running and fleeing, God orchestrates a relationship in the place that he's running to in order that as he does what he does best, he protects, he's a protector, he's a leader in heart. God uses that now um, to bring him a wife. And now he gains a father-in-law named Jethro. Um, as he comes into the family, um, uh, Jethro uh, gives him wisdom and instruction. And this is where we turn now to Exodus chapter number 18, if you now have your Bibles. And this is where I want to share from this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter number 18, starting at verse number 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. Now, you recognize this is latter years. We st started with the early years of Moses. Now, this is the latter years of Moses. And Moses has been uh, raised up by God. He's a leader. He's leading them uh, into the promised land. And, and here now, as he's leading over the people, he has a responsibility to judge over the people's disputes. And so Moses gets up uh, one, uh, the next morning to uh, take his seat and hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. And verse number 14, when Moses, his father-in-law, saw, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, asked a probing question. Now, uh, I recognize, and, and I'm the type of person who's a very probing question type of person, and so I like to ask questions, and I realize that for some of us, that is off-putting because uh, uh, we don't like people asking us questions or getting um, details, but in this, Moses, uh, Jethro is really trying to help Moses as this is going on, and so Moses, uh, excuse me, Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give, him, give them his instructions. Now, what I want you to recognize is there's some people who would look at this story and say, Moses was narcissistic. He just thought he was in control. And I really don't think that was the heart of Moses. I think at the heart of Moses was he wanted to do the will of the Lord. And he was so, he was so uh, passionate that as people did the will of the Lord, that they took time to find out what is God saying and to, to go through those disputes, that he took care, um, he took time to really think through issues that were brought before him. And, and, and it is a challenge that when, even when we look at our modern day legal system in this day and age, um, you know, you think about it even in immigration courts, and one of the things that they say is that the backlog is so behind that people will just get maybe five minutes in order to plead 
plead their case. But Moses was one where he wanted to deliberate over the, the things that were happening. He wanted to go through and to understand all the things that were taking place. And so as, as Moses is wrestling through that, he replies, um, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 17, this is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. <laughs> there you go. So it was not only fear God, but they are also honest people who hated bribes. And so as he says, as he goes on to say, um, excuse me, uh, appoint them as leaders over the groups of 1,150 and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the small matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace." Verse 24 is key. Moses listened to his father-in-law and followed his suggestions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we thank you that as your word comes unto us this morning, Lord, that it would help us to walk out in your will. And Lord, it would teach us and instruct us in the way that we should go. Father, we pray that, Lord, you would even use me this morning as I proclaim your wonderful truths. Father, what we do not know, would you teach us? What we do not have, would you give us? What we are not, would you make us? In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. As we begin to look at this text, I mentioned last week that it was important that all of us need friends who are around us that can help us in order to walk out the will of the Lord. But not only do we need friends, we also need those who are forerunners before us, who are mentors and leaders who will guide us and who will be able to give us wisdom in all that we are doing. Uh, you know, one of the things that was important for me is that I've always kind of been an old soul. And so, you know, when I was young, uh, uh, um, actually it was um, seventh grade, I had a Franklin planner. And any of you know um, what those were. And so I would go each day and write out my Franklin planner. And so that was, you know, part of my old soul and old habits. But one of the key things that I, I prayed about when we started Mars Hill Fellowship Church was that I wanted our church to be multi-generational. And one of the reasons why that was important is not only is it important that we look at the generation that is in front of us, but there is a generation that has gone before us that has wisdom and instruction. And it's often easy that in the midst of coming up when uh, you're younger and, 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 and you're starting out, you can seem to think in your own mind that you know everything or you have the wisdom for everything. I'm raising three young boys and uh, I'm in that phase where uh, they already think they know everything 
thing and they already think that you know they've experienced everything that has gone on and their parents really don't know anything and so uh, I understand the importance of being able to listen to those who have come before you in my culture in the Ghanaian culture uh, it is important that we honor our elders or those who are older than us who have wisdom and uh, have experienced life and maybe they don't always have the best wisdom but they've at least experienced some things amen so they can show you what not to do um, in order to follow after their example and so we learned that the way that God designed us is that he designed us to be in relationship with one another come on say relationship what does that mean? It means that God looks at relationship not only, again, as horizontal, but also vertical relationships. Here on this earth, he looks at our horizontal, meaning our brothers and sisters in Christ. So those who are around us, who we, 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 we eat with, we work with, we go out in community with. It's important uh, that we have relationships with one another, but God also looks that we have vertical relationships. Um, so in that, in God's church, he ordains those who are leaders and elders, um, he puts them in place, the Bible tells us, so that the body of Christ may be equipped for every good work. And so God is helping us to lead that. But even those leaders are pointing up to the ultimate leader, which is Christ, who is the head of the church. Amen? Amen. So it also means that uh, it's often said that you need to have some people in your life and there's kind of three different types of relationships that you need in your life. You need um, some people in your life that you are pouring into. Do you have some people that you are sharing into their lives? Some people that uh, maybe are coming up have, have not gone along the journey that you have that you are pouring into and helping to mold and to shape and it's important that we speak into the younger generations and even those coming up. I, I think it's vitally important that our deeply rooted children's ministry is a priority here at Mars Hill Fellowship Church because it is in these formative years that the word of God is imparted into our young children. And so we want them to learn the word of God. And the Bible says if you train up a child in the way that they should go when they are old, they will not depart from it. So you need to have some people that you're pouring into. But also you need some people walking alongside of you who are along the journey and where you're at. You need some people that you can just be honest with. And, and we shared that last week. That's like the donkey. Sometimes the donkey just said, listen, after the third time uh, where Balaam is hitting on his donkey and he just said, he stops and says, why are you hitting me? What did I do to deserve it? You need some friends that can just get up in your face and say, what is wrong with you today? Why you got an attitude? Why are you so salty today? Hasn't God been good? I mean, I, I got some friends who, you know, they, they'll look and, you know, you can, you can pretend to say all the good. You know, I'm blessed and highly favored. No, how are you really doing? That, that's Pat, Overseer Shannon. That's her, that's her favorite line. You know, she'll say, Pastor Joe, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. She's like, no. How are you really doing? And, and, and I appreciate that because she can, she can go in. And I mean, just, just those couple of words. And be like, oh, oh, I need help. You know, like, I mean, I just start burying my soul in, in a moment. And she just, she, she has that kind of access. But we also need those who 
we are willing to listen to, listen up to. Those who are mentoring us, those who are helping to instruct us in the way that we should go. And here's the thing about it that you'll recognize. Anyone who wants to have godly success will recognize that along their journey that they've made some mistakes along the way. Anyone who says that they've been successful and they've had a perfect plan that has worked and executed perfectly from day one is lying to you. They can write a book about it. They can go on talk shows and talk about you follow this method and this seems like it worked. But here's the thing about it is that anyone who's successful will tell you that there are times in this journey where you make starts and then you fall down. You jump this way and you say, oh, man, I went the wrong direction where you go and you think. And, and, and there are times where you absolutely think this was the right direction and then you have to course correct. It's a part of the journey. And, and, and even as we're led by the Holy Spirit, we recognize that we are fallible human beings. As, as I walk as the lead pastor of Mars Hill Fellowship Church, I strive to lead in a way of righteousness, but I, I, I'm not above saying, you know what, congregation, I missed the mark. I, I, I thought this is where the Lord was leading us to go, but God is changing course and changing direction, and I'm humble. You hear that word again? I'm humble enough to recognize that I. it's not a reflection that I I'm saying that I'm, I'm poor me or pity me that we, we've got to change courses, but it's the proud one who refuses to say, listen, we've got to change course. We've got to get back in alignment with God because you know what? Any car, if you drive it long enough, guess what will happen? It'll come out of alignment. The person who is smart will go back to the shop and say, align these wheels back in place. And that's what we do to get in alignment with God. So uh, those who are pouring into us, and this is what we see from the story of Jethro. Now, the first thing that happens here as Jethro speaks to Moses is these four words that Jethro says that really are stinging words. We observe the first thing that Jethro says is, this is not good. This is not good. We never like to hear when we're doing what we believe to be the will of the Lord and someone comes and gives us feedback or constructive criticism and they say, this is not good. Now, the first inclination from hearing someone say, this is not good, and say, well, what gives you the right to tell me what's good and what's not good? I'm, I heard from the Lord, so I'm just going to do what the Lord is telling me to do. But what Jethro was highlighting is he's highlighting this fact that Moses had a method that he had used and had come along, and the method was yielding results that were yielding everyone's frustration and disappointment and exhaustion. Now, why is it important that I say this? Because what Jethro recognized was that as Moses was trying to carry out the will of the Lord, he recognized that the ending results or the fruit of what Moses was doing was not leading him to a healthy place. Amen? 
Now, what does that mean or what are you saying, Pastor Joseph? Well, what you've got to recognize is that God cares not just about the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law as well. And what does that mean? If you look back when Jesus comes, his, his challenge with the Pharisees was that the Pharisees cared about these very, very aspects of the religious order, but yet when it came to the aspect of walking with their brothers and sisters in love they had no love and so the spirit of the Lord was not there even though the letter of the law they would ascribe to and be able to tell you listen I'll tell you this and I'll let you in on a secret that there are many people who are in the church of the living God there are many people who can quote scriptures there are many people who will tell you the books of the Bible in order there are many people who have a title in front of their name and they know the letter of the law but they do not understand the spirit of the law and when we have that dichotomy where we do not understand the spirit of what God is trying to do through his word this is the command that Jethro said this is not good there are some things that we have done in the church and when we look at it, I'm not even going to say that it came from impure motives. It can come, come from very deliberate motives to try and do the will of God. But in the expression of it, what has happened is that we have been so consumed with what we want to see that we've lost God's hearts. You remember what, what it said? God goes out and he goes to the valley of the dry bones and, and he says to them, listen, I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. And he says, I'm going to turn their stony hearts. I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. What was God saying? He was trying to take our natural hearts and exchange it for his heart. And that is the heart of Christianity where God wants us to have his heart in everything that we do so that's why it's important that not only do we come to church but when we come to church that we have the the spirit of Christ what good is it if we come to church and we're bickering and fighting or what good is it if we come to church and and the black sections over here and the white sections over here and, and and we separate and segregate that's why the scriptures tell us listen if you come to church and when the people who are poor come to church and you sit them all the way at the back and then the ones who are seemingly having earthly riches you come and you give them prominence and say look how wonderful you are look how great you are they said no this is not good in the kingdom of God because this does not honor God when we do those things and so we're striving because even though we have a heart for that we recognize that sometimes our heart will go astray and so God lines us back up and as Jethro said to Moses this is not good it's not good when it's not healthy and God cares about health, not just spiritually, but he cares about health in every capacity. We started Mars Hill Fellowship Church because we wanted to be balanced Christians who live Christ-centered lives. What does that mean as balanced Christians? It means that, you know, I grew up in church. I know what it was like where you were in church every single day. I mean, you were in church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then you went out and evangelized. Sunday, you came to church in the morning. 
morning. You stayed after, had a meal in between, Sunday afternoon service, then you had evening service, and then you tried to come home and you couldn't do arithmetic work, nothing. But you said, listen, Lord loves me. I know scripture's all good. Now, I'm not saying don't learn your scriptures. But let's be balanced Christians who can also impact the world with the gifts that God has given unto us. Now, this is a tension, and I will, I will, I will surmise that this is a difficult tension. Because the easiest way, and, and, and you know, it's happened here even at Mars Hill Fellowship Church. I tell us we've got to be balanced Christians. And so, you know, people come up to, hey, pastor, you know, um, I, I just feel I need to go to the beach today. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's Sunday, but, you know, it's a, it's a warm day, Lord. And, you know, we all need rest. Well, at 1 o'clock, you can go to the beach and enjoy it after you came and gave the Lord his due on his day. Uh, uh, let, me, let me just take it aside here and, and, and help you out. Sunday is the Lord's day. Sunday belongs to God. I mean, every day belongs to God. But Sunday is the Lord's day. Now, you know, it's just like tithing. I mean, all God asks for is a tenth. He gives you the rest to manage as you will. And he tells us, now, we understand in the Old Testament, uh, don't forsake the Sabbath. And, 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 and we're not so legalistic that, you know, you can't watch TV on Sunday or you can't, you know, enjoy things on Sunday. But we've got to know and understand that even with that freedom, we need to make being in the house of God a priority. Amen? I thank you for those of you who made being in the house of God a priority. Why? Because God wants us to come together and he says, don't forsake the assembling together of the saints because it's important. So the first thing that Moses, Jethro says is that this is not good. The second thing that we see and observe in the text is that as uh, Jethro saw what was happening and he saw the outcome of, the, of what Jethro, uh, Moses was doing, he gave wise counsel. The scripture tell us over and over again that in the in the multitude of counselors there is what there is safety in the multitude of counselors there is safety uh, I, I shared uh, a couple weeks back, I had rented a car when we were down at the seniors pastors retreat in uh, Virginia, and um, I got one of the new cars, and uh, this new car had what was called automatic lane detection. And um, part of that is that when it looks at the lines, it has cameras all around the car, and, and it, it looks at the lines, and if you go outside of the line, it'll start beeping at you, but not only will it start beating, beeping at you, but it'll make course correction and put you back in the right lane. We recognize that in order to walk out what God has for us, we've got to be willing to heed to wise counsel. We've got to be willing to allow others to speak into our lives to help course correct and get us back in the right lane. What was the wise counsel that Jethro gave? Uh, as we look here in the text, Jethro says in verse number 19, now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. Now, uh, I, one thing I'll preface and I'll understand that I was the youngest of four boys. And so um, I felt that I not only had my mom and dad, but I had three other dads um, because all of my brothers had what they thought I should be doing. And usually they disagreed 
debate about what that was. And so one would be upset because I was listening to another brother. And, and, and so it was just frustrating for me. And um, as the youngest of four boys, I got very frustrated with others telling me what to do. Now, the challenge was, was that when you have those experiences, the tendency is to go to the other extreme. What's the other extreme? I ain't got to listen to nobody. I'm just going to live my life. But I've learned through my years that it's important that wise counsel can see things that I can't see. And one of the things is that I can't let every, everybody speak into my life, but I've got to be able to let some people who God has ordained speak into my life and give me godly counsel and wisdom. Now, I want you to pay attention to Jethro's advice because Jethro was not simply the brother off the street who always got a piece of advice for you. You know, you know the ones who always tell you what to do always got I mean the ones who ain't got no money at all but trying to give you stock advice man if I was you man I'd invest in that Google I'm like you're 20 years late what you talking about and so you've got to recognize that Jethro had a role and he also had God had given wisdom to Jethro and what was the advice that Jethro had given there he said in verse 19 listen to me as I give you this advice what was the advice that he said to him he says, um, uh, you should continue to be the people's representative before God, before um, bringing their disputes to them. Verse number 20, teach them God's degrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. One of the key things that I think is important as we look to the life of the advice that Jethro gave was that what you see that was ingrained in Jethro's advice is that he recognized the calling that was on Moses, but he was giving a different way for Moses to execute that calling in a way that honored God. Be careful of those who always have advice, but they don't want to honor the calling that God has placed on your life. You know, uh, you know, one of the things I always talk about is in, in premarital counseling is that, listen, if you are married and, and you got all single friends, uh, you got to understand that, listen, your single friends are going to look at life a different way and a different perspective. Girl, I don't know why you listening to him. Listen, I mean, you can go and do whatever you want to do you ain't you know you ain't beholden him and, and and I'm not saying that their advice is necessarily wrong but they don't have context to understand it and so the calling or when you have the calling to be joined together in marriage or you have the calling uh, to whatever God has placed on your life, it's important. Uh, you know, as even my brothers were sharing with me in a season, one of the things that was important for them to recognize, I say, listen, I'm trying to discern what the will of the Lord is. But one thing that I know for certain is that the Lord told me to pastor Mars Hill Fellowship Church. So we can talk about all the different options, but if the option is that this is not in the, you know, why don't you just give up the church and just go do something else and, you know, you can go do something. And, and, and now, again, if God called us, called me to do that, absolutely, I'll do that. But I had to know that this was a part of the calling that the Lord had placed on my life. And so now I need to understand all those things around it. How do I match those things? So, for example... You know, if you got kids, that's something where, you know, you don't, you don't have a calling for kids just when you birth them. 
And then, you know, year three, you're like, oh, man, you know, I, thanks. I, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm checking you back in and uh, <laughs> giving you back. No, I mean, that's a calling that you have on your life. So part of that calling means that you're going to have to go throughout life and to be able to say, Lord, now, how do I balance my responsibilities also with this calling that you've given to me to be a father or to be a mother? And so those are part of balancing those responsibilities. So what, what uh, uh, Jethro did was he gave wise wise counsel and that wise counsel honored what God had called Moses to do but it also gave him and balanced what I call practical wisdom and in that in that practical wisdom what happens is that he told him listen you'll be the people's representative before God you need to teach them and instruct them the decrees that the Lord has said but also in this I need you to do this other part find some faithful honest men trustworthy people and give them responsibility. Give them responsibility. Which is the third thing that we see from this text is that godly wisdom includes preparation and order. Godly wisdom includes preparation and order. You know, one of the things that happens in the church is that, um, especially uh, we are uh, 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 in the tradition of the charismatic or Pentecostal reformation, uh, meaning that as we look to the gifts of the spirit and the importance of the role of the Holy Spirit in the church, um, and one of the key things that we say is that we're a church that is led by the spirit. Have you heard us talk Talk about that before. Uh, we're led by the Spirit. Now, some people think led by the Spirit means never prepare and just do whatever comes to the wind or whatever it feels like in the moment. You ever been in a, a preschool classroom? Uh, that is what that looks like. Chaos when kids are just running around throwing things and all kinds of craziness. But we've got to understand that we can be, even though we're led by the Spirit, it doesn't negate preparation and order. What do I mean by preparation? Preparation means that God wants us to be prepared for the day of battle, meaning that he wants us to put in the preparation that is necessary. I can be led by the spirit, but guess what? If I don't spend time in the word of God and I, I just got up here every week and say, well, let me flip to a page today and see what we're going to talk about. Y'all would never come back. Y'all would go on to Yelp and be like, Ooh, don't go to that church. He just makes up stuff at the last minute. God expects us to be prepared. Now, as I'm prepared, what happens, then God can use my preparation to change course. And there have been times where I've been prepared with the word and God changes the course or the direction of what's going to happen. But he prepares us. And in the same way, God wants to prepare you in your life stations. What does that mean? It means that you've got to understand that part of godliness is getting things in order. God, part of godliness is getting things straight. Part of godliness is ordering your time so that God can be glorified. Now, the second thing we see, preparation, but also order. What does that mean? Well, if we look in 1 Corinthians 14 and 40, the New Living Translation, it says, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. The Apostle Paul when he talked about what was done for the church, what he mentioned about the church was that, listen, here's what is happening in your churches. 
You got one person stand up prophesying while the person stand up prophesying, another standing up prophesying, and then you got all kinds of chaos. I mean, can you imagine that we come to church and, and so there's like, there is no order in that. And so what God says is that in my house, there is to be order. And what we need to recognize is that God sets into order different things. And, and, and you know, you can't just come in and say, well, I talk to God just like God talks to God. And I'm just going to do what I want to do. Well, that's out of order. And so what Jethro tells Moses is, listen, I need you to set into place. I need you to prepare and to set in place and set an order in the house. What was the order that he set in the house? He set the order. He said, listen, you've been sitting here all day long hearing all the cases. You cannot do that by yourself. It will kill you. There are some things that we are doing and and we're trying to do it for the glory of God. But I want to share with you that some things that you're doing, it will kill you because you're trying to do something that God never ordained for you to do by yourself. You're trying to do it by yourself. But God is saying, listen, I'm going to set into order a pattern. And if you follow after my pattern, it will it will be something where as you do it and execute it, the will of the Lord will be will, will follow through and that you will see my blessing upon everything. So what happens? He says, listen, I want you to set into order this, this order, that there were going to be some who will hear cases. They will hear the common cases amongst the people. And all the complex cases, those ones will come up to you. And so he set up, much like our modern judicial system, almost like a, a, a order where it was like the Supreme Court. Moses was the Supreme Court. And you had your district, uh, you had your, your courts, uh, lower courts that were in place. And so in this... The needs of the people will be met, and Moses would not kill himself. This message that Jethro preached to Moses was key for me. Because I've grown up in, in the phase where I was the always the, I'm going to do it by myself if it kills me. And I thought God would be glorified, but man, look what I've done. Look at And, and I remember one time I, I, I had gotten finished doing all these things and I was so exhausted and I just came home and I, and I threw down my jacket and I just said, oh my goodness, Lord, look at all these things that I'm doing for you. And the Lord says to me, I didn't ask you to do all that. So I, wait, but don't you see all these things I'm doing for you, Lord? I mean, this is for you, God. And the Lord said, no, this was for you. You wanted to feel that you had everything in control. You wanted to feel like you were orchestrating everything. And God said, I didn't ask you to do all that. And so it reordered me to understand, listen, when we started Mars Hill Fellowship Church, I actually told Pastor Michael and Pastor Jamila, I said, listen, I believe the Lord has called me to plant Mars Hill Fellowship Church. But I said, I've got to change my pattern. I said, listen, I'm not going to plant this church unless there are others who will say that they're planting with us and will go alongside of us. Because I said, I know my I know how I like to do things. I'll try and do it all by myself. But I said, I 
need people who will walk alongside of me and who will help me along this journey. And in the same way, what Moses, Jethro was saying to Moses was, listen, God wants you to live your life and to live the fullness of the life that he's given unto you. And some of us, we're dying on the inside and, and, and the burnout sets in because what is happening is that we've not set into proper order what the Lord has asked for from us. And so Jethro told Moses, listen, set those things into order. And as he listens to what was going on, I close with this fourth and final thing was that godly wisdom included preparation and order. And finally, a wise leader listens to godly counsel. We see here in the text, as we look at verse number 24, it has this simple instruction. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Now, one of the things that was important about what Jethro said is that, listen, he talked to Moses, but he also respected Moses and the role that Moses had. He told Moses, listen, these are my thoughts about the things that are happening, but listen, I want you to go to the Lord and ask the Lord, is this what you want me to do? And so I believe that it's not detailed in the text, but I believe Moses went before the Lord and said, Lord, is this a way, is this an order, is this a pattern that I can follow after and that will bring glory to your name. And when he did that, uh, uh, the Lord said yes. And so Mo Moses followed and listened after the advice of Jethro, and he followed in instructions. It goes on to say here in uh, verse chapter 18, he chose capable men from all over Israel and pointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,150 and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. Jethro is an unsung hero. We often think about Moses and the work that he did at the Red Sea. We often think about Moses and leading the people, but the truth of the matter would be that Moses would not have carried out the fullness of his destiny if he didn't have a father-in-law who's willing to step in and say, this is not good. I want to help show you a way that will help you grow in the things that the Lord has called for you to do. So what is our lesson from today? Is that no matter what goes on and no matter what takes place, allow God to send people into your life who will show you the way, who will help course correct at times when you need it, who will help you in the times where you maybe not don't know what should I be doing, what should take place. God will place people into your lives. The blessing of Jethro was, it wasn't an accident that God placed Jethro into his life. God used all the way from the time of Moses' birth to the time when God used Jethro as a mouthpiece to speak into Moses. God orchestrated every part of the journey. Some of you are wondering about what God is doing in 2018. And sometimes it's not until God has finished the plan that you see how he has worked it out. But trust me in this, that God is always working things together for his good. And he will work it out on our behalf to the glory and honor of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for 
your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we ask that even as we have gathered together this morning, Lord, that you would be with each and every one of us, O oh God, Lord. And Lord, you would teach us and instruct us in the way that we should go. Father, I ask and pray, O oh God, Lord, that you, Lord, would place people like Jethro in our lives. Those who, Lord, you are willing to use for the glory and honor of your name, O oh God those who will help us course correct and those who will help us show us the way that we should go. Father, we ask and pray, oh God, Lord, that your name would be glorified and Lord, that you would be blessed in all that is said and done. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank God.